0: Welcome back to the second installment of the Trials of Black Star. Again, this is uh, Jeremiah Taylor and Nicholas Anderson. Uh, Jeremiah is suffering from a bout with stripped throat, so I'll be taking over for the next two episodes. We pick up our story with Kane leading the wire to investigate what's killing the crew. In the last episode, a the chef was killed by a mysterious creature and both Kane and Abel spent time trying to figure out what it could be and how they could stop it. Let's begin. As Cain approaches well, let us start from the beginning. Cain looks at Abel, and he makes the decision that he's going to leave the fence. Abel looks looks back at Cain and tells him that's a dumb idea. He says, if we lose you, then the mission is done. There's no way we can come back from this. After you die, we'll all be some pickings. Cain replies, well, if I do come back, then maybe the killings will stop. And maybe we can continue our mission and make it home alive. Any action is better than no action. Abe looks glass at him. He just thinks that he's But He lets him go anyways because now he can't stop him. Kane walks into the forest and he's immediately greeted with humidity and a sense of hostility in the air. Unbeknownst to him, the yellow eyes of the same of the very same monster he's hunting are watching him. The monster is licking his lips and just wondering if it'll taste if he'll taste as good as the chef did, or maybe he's too muscly and be too No matter. He will die anyways. Cain is looking for tracks and he soon finds them. Large feline prints with almost bear claws he thinks to himself he's wondering if this really could be possible if these things could really exist he has no no way to know what he's getting into he continues to trek further and further and further into the jungles and notices that all the trees look the same and they all secrete this same sweet smelling sap boat when it hits the ground it burns like acid and Nothing grows around the trees, only soil and what looks to be bones. He begins to wonder if even the trees are hostile, if this plant itself is out to kill him. In the trees he hears a rustling sound and his head immediately snaps up. He scans the canopy, he points his rifle and he's he's getting scared now, he doesn't know what he's going to do. He doesn't see anything darkness and small spears of light shine down and bounce off the obsidian spears that jut out of the soil, almost like burned out tree trunks. He knows something's there, he just can't find it, and he hopes that he'll never find out what it is. He just keeps walking, and again, he hears something in the trees, and it's it something like getting lower, but he can't see it, and suddenly... He feels something pounce on his back, and it feels like he's been hitting the back with him by a semi-truck, and he's flattened to the ground. His face is cut open by the obsidian beneath the soil, and he screams out in pain, but he's too far away for help to come, and even if he was close enough, he doubts anybody would come save him. They're all too worried about themselves. He feels the hot breath of the monster breathing down his down his shirt and He feels his nails tearing open his back, but he can't do anything. He can't free himself. Suddenly the animal stops and backs off, and he just lays there in agony, hoping that he'll be able to make it back, hoping that it's not just playing with him. The monster lets out. A feline roar, but it doesn't sound like anything he's ever heard before. Not like a lion or a tiger or even a leopard, it sounds like. A human voice, just not making words. He rolls over to see it standing over him on his hind legs, towering, 18 feet tall, weighing at least two tons. And just as soon as he sees it, it's gone, running through the darkness. He's left there in a pile of his own blood, wondering why I let him live, and for what reason, what purpose he serves to this monster. He tries to get up and feels that his leg's been shattered. And he knows he could drag himself back to camp, but he doesn't know if he'll be able to make it back in time with this thing to come back. Maybe it's just toying with him like cats on earth. Maybe it's just just plotting, biding its time to find him and see what he can do, see what he can do. He begins to drag himself back, using his rifle almost like a walking stick, hoping that he won't have to use it. Hoping that if he does, it will kill the just too fast. It was on him before he was even able to move. Finally, he makes it back to camp, and Abel rushes out and grabs him and pulls him inside. Only to stare in horror at the bloody face and broken body of his of his captain. Now I'm not his friend, but a man who's essential to the mission. Suddenly, Cain tells him we have to go, we need to leave. And Abel just thinks he's delusional, but he hasn't seen what Cain has seen. Cain just witnessed death. Abel isn't aware. Over the next three weeks, he spent in the infirmary receiving advanced treatments for his injuries, using special gels and pastes to reconnect his facial structure and to heal the cuts on his back. The thing that took the longest was the bones. They could only take what, so many metal pins before the man turns into something more like Iron Man, or Titanium Man rather, and he refused this. He wanted his bones to mend better. He said they'd be stronger this way. During his time in the infirmary, two more crew members were killed, both of which were non-essential, but both hurt more than the last because it made Cain wonder why he was still alive. Was he more important than them, Or was he just undesirable? Just lucky? As soon as Cain was able to leave the infirmary, he did, and he resumed his position as captain. He focused his time on trying to get the camp secure. He made Abel spend thirteen hours a day laboring in his lab, devising new ways and new new ways to protect the camp from intrusion and new weapons to kill it if it ever came in. That is, if anyone was ever able to shoot it. It was too fast, too strong, too smart. It was almost as if it knew their moves before they made them, as if it was watching them could read their minds or something. He wondered if this was some sort of higher intelligence or if it was just some apex predator some beast that was just able to behave and learn. faster the humans because he just couldn't believe it. He brushed, the, he brushed the thought aside and just continued on with his day, hoping that no one else would die and hoping that the animal would just die of itself or that it would get bored of them. But he knew this wasn't going to be the case. One morning, when on the bridge, Abel walked up, and Abel said to him, another person had been taken, but this time he had an idea. He wanted to amplify the scanners to not only warn them, but to possibly activate security systems. Cain thought this wouldn't work. Nothing's worked so far. No matter how many times they shoot at it, no matter how many times they post more guards and add new floodlights in, Heighten the voltage on the fence, make the fence taller, somehow it gets in, whether it's from tunneling, or just powering through the fence, almost like it doesn't do anything. He doubted that Abel's idea would work, but he needed an idea, he needed a new idea, he needed a way to overcome this monster, if not, he was sure they would all die, and maybe he would be the last one left, a gigantic cat toy. The next few days, Cain and Abel worked together to amplify the scanners. They worked with crew members, but tried to keep them in the dark as much as possible to help lower the fear, make them feel more comfortable. One evening, as the sun was at its lowest point, which really isn't all that low, but low enough. For the animal, for the beast to resume his hunt. The scanner went off and this time it was effective. All they heard was the shrill scream of some sort of beast as it collided with the fence and collapsed on the ground. They saw it was charred and burned. I guess the electricity finally got to it. They pulled inside the camp. That was their first mistake. They didn't know that this was some sort of Animal children, who was so a lesson learned by a species that would never once seen combat the way humans did. They pulled the animal inside the camp and began to examine it. They noticed that it towered over them, it towered over them and it weighed more than five men. They wondered how could this thing, this gigantic monster, move faster than them and go unseen during the day if it truly was stalking them, and they came to the conclusion that this wasn't a normal thing. A normal beast. This was something else, something totally different, something that they had no way to prepare for. They performed an autopsy and discovered that its brain was twice the size of a human's and structured quite the same, almost as if if they were humans and They They realized that the reason these things were able to perform the way they did was the fact that they were basically a human being with a superior body. That night, the first time, they finally saw No cloaking. After they had performed an autopsy, reports all on the crew started coming out. Of shadowy beasts leaving the cover of the woods to come out to stand in front of the fences with all the floodlights on. They just stood there, gigantic gargoyles glaring at the fence, plotting their revenge for the murder of their comrade, their family member. They're so much like human beings, but the crew doesn't notice they associated with animals. Suddenly, Cain realizes. That there was never just one, but there was multiple, that these things were working in tandem, together. Feeding their own hunger and preying on these people, on his crew, like fruit snacks or potato chips. You realize that they were no longer the epic predator, but they had no hope of survival. This point. As Cain looked out on these animals and saw they rose and growled and snarled at the crew, most of the taunting, proclaiming proclaimed death, he realized that not only did not have a chance but that these monsters were more human than them they cared although his crew had sought retribution they were too afraid to go out there and handle the business but these monsters stood there boldly in the, in the midnight sun waiting. Cain ordered, ordered the crew to shoot, but by the time his order was fulfilled, it was almost as if no was, ran away and fled back into the bush. From that day on, one crew member was taken a week, slaughtered brutally, sometimes eaten, sometimes just left there as a reminder of the cause being the predator. But the death of the first beast led to a revelation that these things were vulnerable, that they could be killed, that they weren't some mythical monster or something. Although it must be feared, was also able to die. But this revelation may have come too late for him. For by now the crew, once a hundred strong, was down to a mere fifty. In the month and a half that they had been there, the attrition rate was so high that many members threatened to go home, but he wouldn't let them. Although his although his dedication to the crew was admirable and severe, his his dedication to humanity was stronger. He was prepared to die for the for the cause of humanity, even if it meant that his body would never be found and. Would probably be left to be consumed by this planet. At least they would know something when the humans finally a There would be something there to really live off. Something there to make, the, make humanity strong again. As he was thinking this, Abel walked in and spoke to him. Abel shared many of the same concerns and stated that the crew was about to mutiny. They both decided that they must go out and finish the job. Maybe they could just kill them all themselves and maybe they could reach them all through, Seeing as these animals were much smarter than them. They decided that two days from now, when the sun was at, when the sun was rising for the first time, that they would take the body of, their, of the dead animal, drag it outside the wires, take it back to his family and maybe they'd be spared and maybe there'd be some way that they didn't have to die and that they could coexist a sign of goodwill. They did not know how wrong they were. This would be the second time Cain left, left the wire to venture into the forest and this time he was more terrified than the first. He believed that this time would be his last time I saw the wire. He knew that this was a death wish but he couldn't help himself. He needed to give it a shot. He needed to solve this. So he spent the first day preparing his gear, getting his gun ready, saying his prayers, recording video messages for the next colony. He wanted this as something to, to he remember that she was dead. He had nobody. All he had was his colony. All he had was humanity, and soon even that would be gone. But he was prepared to die for these people, these strangers, if if it meant his life had purpose. The night before they were due to embark, Cain and Abel sat, and for the first time in months, they saw each other as equals, they put their differences aside and discussed their time together, and they drank and laughed, and they remembered all the funny things that could happen. They tried to push the thoughts of death the carnage that would soon await them aside, to no avail. When the sun arose that morning, they embarked, just the two of them. They used a the hover platform to pull what was left of the monster in hopes that it would be accepted and that they'd be permitted to keep living and hopefully find a better arrangement. Can warned learn Abel that? They would never see them coming if they attacked, attacked. They would just be slaughtered. Abel didn't believe him. Abel was a fool for all his intelligence. He was unable to grasp the concept of an animal so strong and so intelligent that whatever he did meant nothing to it. He would soon learn his lesson. spent the day hiking through the forest and They made significant progress. They were prepared to stay out two nights. Didn't think that they were gonna make it back, but they had to try. They barely made it through half a day, when as they were walking through a path, they turned, and right in front of them stood a 25-foot monster, much like the one they had on the hyper pad, except this one was bigger, and bore the scars of its dominance. Slash rocks across his face and across his body, marked it as a dominant fighter, a survivor. It sat there, snarling at them. From all around them, the guttural growls deepened, and monsters lowered themselves from the trees and out of the shadows, and encroached ever so closely upon the captain, upon Cain and Abel. They stared the wrinkles and breath of these monsters and saw the yellow teeth stained with the blood of the crewmates, then they saw the fear reflected in the eyes of their dominant, of their masters. Suddenly, Cain spoke to the silence. Well, not really silence, but through the impenetrable growls and the silence of misunderstanding. He offered his he offered his apologies for the killing of the other monster and he implored them to let them live and as he was talking and they just grew ever closer and closer until they were barely a foot apart on all sides. Suddenly they pulled the big mon they pulled the, the dead beast off the hover pad. And we're seated back into the forest. Cain looked at Abel and said, I guess that went well because we're still alive and hopefully things will get better. As he was saying this, suddenly, the Alpha male turned around and looked at him with a sinister grin on his face, almost like he as if he understood, as if he was saying things will never be okay. That he's not dead yet. There's still retribution to be taken for the death of his prank, for this pack member. came up to Abel and said, well, I think we better leave. They fled to the forest, running at full speed, hoping that they would make it back in time, that they weren't just playing some part, some sadistic game, some human beast version of cat and mouse, cowboys and Indians. Soon they saw the camp, but it it wasn't the way they left it. It was... Decimated everywhere was dead crew, dismantled guns, a few dead beasts here and there, but nowhere near the carnage that was up on the crew. Candy was stood there, dumbfounded, in shock over what they saw, in shock of the death of their crew and the and the loss of everyone. They realized that their mission was done and that the sinister smile. On the face of the big cat, was it saying that it had won, that it had finally achieved its goal of dominance and that it had let them live only to suffer the agony that it now felt when it lost its pack members and can enable soon have to reach a decision. But we can say that for the third episode, the final episode, to see whether they make it home and whether they will to continue to fight these monsters. Will they die on a planet? That's as foreign to them as their home world. Or will they make it their own? Will their inhumanity come out? And by humanity, I don't mean kindness. I mean the brutality that marred Earth. Will they revert to their old ways or will they grow and find a better way to handle the solution? Only time will tell. So I don't know if you noticed, but we did this episode a little bit differently. Due to the lack of a partner, I had to do all the roles. So this one was more narration-heavy. chose to, I chose to do it this way to provide a clearer timeline. The focus of this podcast has always been on the two characters and their development and their friendship. I thought that this showed how they were able to grow through the adversity. In addition, I do believe that this episode talks a lot about how people who grow and become something different than what they initially were. Even if their relationship is flawed and not necessarily the best, they can still overcome this for the benefit of themselves and those surrounded by them. I also wanted to make this episode more of a horror story using better descriptions. I don't know how successful I was, and I hope that you enjoyed it, but the inspiration for this was kind of, um, again, Avatar with the way the natural landscape is, you know, very jungly, but it's hard to get light in there with the monsters being a lot taller, stronger, more intelligent than humans. But I also wanted to incorporate um, science as well. So, you know, how chimpanzee brains are similar and they have been marred with the no more of aggression. I wanted to make the cats twice the intelligence of a human being with 10 times the physical prowess. I don't know if you noticed, but the cats were described as being, you know, the biggest being 20 feet tall and weighing several tons with bare paws or well, with bear claws and feline paws. And just, I wanted to show the daunting, nature of the animals and to make the reader or the listener feel as if all is lost for, for the crew. Um, again, I also wanted to hint to the fact that this is more than just a sci-fi podcast. We wanted to also talk about or allude to or issues as the big issue in this one is human warfare and what the cost is. In this episode, killing and trying to def- solve an issue of violence led to the death of everybody. Nobody survived except for the two who did the killing, and I wanted to show that. Just how when humans engage in warfare, you know, everybody dies innocent or not. So I thought it'd just be interesting to make the monsters show their superiority and show their inner humanity and their inner brutality as well, and how they treated the humans. Um, We also wanted to show how when faced with adversity, some humans run it, some humans stay, just how most of the crew was ready to abandon the mission. Only Cain and Abel decided to stay and see it through to the end, which I thought showed how powerful the characters they were even in the phase of death they were ready to do whatever was necessary to save humanity and the crew although their actions ultimately led to the slaughtering of their crew I still think that it's important to notice that they were working in tandem and they were pushing each other and to the brink because they needed to survive in addition they are such dedicated characters they, are able to put aside their personal differences for the good of all mankind. You know, even though they don't get along easier in the beginning, in the first couple minutes of our first podcast, now they are able to sit and drink together and laugh, remember all the good times that they had as a crew. And you also see how they are able to tap into their sympathetic side as they try to consult the crew with the loss of crew members and build up morale, even though they know they're in dire straits and that death may be coming at any moment. And I know I keep kind of reiterating humanity and humanity, but this is really what the podcast is about. It's about facing the issues that will ultimately lead to the demise of civilization. warfare, global warming, and blatant disregard for one another. So this podcast is really just to show the consequences and what could happen of this and also to show, to mirror what we do to our environment and people and animals and have it done to them, to the characters. I want them to react the way and feel the way that minority groups feel. And that endangered species feel now. I don't know what a tiger thinks when it's being hunted and shot at, but I can imagine it's terrified, just as the crew is terrified as they're being hunted for no reason other than for food. But at one point, they just stopped eating them and just started killing them as retribution. So that is the main goal: is to look at what's the consequences and. In the third episode, we hope to develop a more scientific. We want to show the scientific repercussions of, you know, human neglect on the environment. I want to show how people feel about the environment and why these animals are really killing the crew, not just you know their ideas of dominance, but what they see in them that makes them feel that they need to get rid of them. Why the animals think they're a threat. Although the humans can't stack up to them in one-on-one combat, they are a threat to the whale i in been away. They can smell the, they can sense the fact that humans are a destructive breed, and they don't want that in their environment. They they want to preserve the way things are. The purity of their environment is what's important to the monsters. But on that note, I will be posting part two of the podcast, which will be another five to ten minutes of me just discussing the ideas behind it. And that This is um, episode two, part two of The Trials of Blackstone. This is your host, Nicholas Anderson, again. Um, So I just wanted to briefly describe some of the inspirations, or maybe the biggest inspiration for this most recent episode. The biggest inspiration would have to be the Rise of the Planet B. It's due to the fact that the intelligence factor, how the animals are now president, which in the story isn't given to them, all, it's just acquired through nature. But they still don't dominate, like they to just mm-hmm. take over. So I thought it would just be interesting to show how they act and how maybe all things are just evil. I don't know. Because of they the they are two people. Now, in the podcast, the cat-like creatures slaughter the camp. They just decimate. But they do it because their feelings are hurt. They do it because they lost a member of their pack. So they're reacting in emotional way similar to humans. So I wanted to put that in there. I don't know if anybody picked it up, but that's what it was for to show that or to allow the readers to think. Would animals really be like that, or would they just move on and not even worry about it? <sighs> Excuse me. In addition, I wanted to show how intelligent the creatures are, how they're you know, able to process their emotions. It's like when uh and Abel return the dead the head animal that leads the pack smiles at them like it's a joke. Like it didn't matter at all because he had already done what he came to do. He had killed the whole crew. He had taken revenge for what was done to him. So I just think it's very interesting to see how that developed Um, in the third episode, I'm not gonna spoil anything because with the fun in that, keep you guys coming back. But, um to see where his true intentions were from the beginning and why he behaves the way he behaves. And similar to Caesar, you know, he's the leader of this pack of animals and his goal is to just survive. His goal of survival. So I just, you know, wanted to kind of point that out and also wanted to point out, again, avatar, the way that, you know, the organic species interact with our climate, you know, It doesn't seem to have any real... Mm. The animals I aren't mean, in any real conflict. We haven't seen any real conflict with other species on uh, the planet. We also wanted to show the hostility of the environment. You know, so we, when I talked about the trees and the way they're sap and burn holes around them, that was actually an allusion to the manufacturing process in America and the way that they provide essential things like power and sustenance. But they expensive the environment. So as it's feeding the atmosphere and, you know, helping the biome survive. They're also killing it by dropping their to sap and like burning everything around it. But then it then not able to grow on the on the floor. That's why there's very little shrubbery. Or you know, grasses, and that's why everything's just dirty, you know, obsidian. And you know, and through all of this, I still wanted to show a little bit of beauty and how the light still comes through. It's the, the obsidian or refracts off of it. And shines onto the trees and makes the forest. Although dark, still beautiful, like the planet. Maybe that's a symbol of the silver lining at the end of the story. I don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe there is. But time will tell. In addition to that, I wanted to also show how just and you know, people can't be to the signs and how stuck in the ways they are. You know, Abel can't fathom not being the top predator the top species. So I just wanted to show him that, you know, he's not the top. He's weaker than the animals. He will fall prey and them, given the And they also have a, a decency to them. You know, they chose not to kill Cain for some reason. Maybe they recognize that he's not like the rest of them. He maybe is exception to the rule of you know the brutality that humans possess i don't know time will tell again but that concludes part two of our episode you know we didn't want to go too long but i just wanted to help explain some of those points um i'll see you guys tomorrow